Science and Answers. Do we have an accurate historical account of life and teachings of the founders of the world religions? How accurate is our present day text to the original documents? Was the life and teachings of Jesus unique from all other religious teachers? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will continue on with his guest, renowned apologist, Dr. Gary Habermas, as they explain how Jesus and Christianity is unique from all other world religions and their founders. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, let's continue on with the conclusion to this interview. Here's Pat now. Some truths are timeless. You know, what's, a, what's the definition of contradiction? Some truths are, are timeless, especially logic and math. But most of the things we build on are empirical truths, including all our medicines for disease and our living conditions. They're, they're virtually all inductive, probabilistic things. And history is a part of that. And if our best sources are, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but Zoroaster, the early theological books about a thousand years after him, Buddha, just from Konzi himself, 600 to 900. Yeah, and you know the earliest Buddha, uh, uh, the the Tibetan and Chinese sources, or Confucius, or Lao Tzu, Chinese philosophers, good thinkers, good philosophers. There are a number of, of those books who say that those guys were basically naturalists. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And the Chinese Buddha does not believe in a supernatural realm. One of my buddies is a Buddhist philosopher, and he said Buddha was an atheist. That's very, very common. You find that in literature over and over again, which is, you know, somebody wants to be an atheist, that's fine. But that's not what most, you know, a lot of people think Buddha called himself uh, deity, and he didn't. Yeah, you know, Gary, putting those early dates to the Gospels is critical because when the apostles are preaching that Jesus Christ did all these miracles in your midst, that he died and rose again. And when the Gospels are being circulated, saying Jesus fed 5,000, Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead, there are eyewitnesses, not only pro-Jesus, but many who wanted to squish out the message of Christianity, I mean, bring it to an end, so they could scrutinize these accounts that the apostles were preaching and the gospel accounts. There are enough eyewitnesses who are still alive who wanted to see the end of Christianity, who could really scrutinize these. And so the fact that the gospel survived in the midst, you know, these testimonies survived in the midst of such a hostile audience shows you they could be scrutinized, whereas these other works were in hundreds of years later. I mean, there's no eyewitnesses you know, not even a second generation who can scrutinize the accounts or the events of Buddha because they're written just centuries later. Right, right. Yeah, to, to do the Buddhist example would be like saying, yeah, well, we're going to talk about Declaration of Independence. Yeah, when's your source? Well, it's not going to be around for 300 years yet. I mean, we don't know anything about these periods. Now, some people, I think you raise a great point on what you just said and on your earlier objection that some people just say it's all about the spiritual. These people kind of these folks, they kind of betray their loyalty to that idea of spiritual, not history, 
when they say things like, oh, no, 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 Buddha taught it this way, or Confucius taught it this way, or, and, you know, Confucius in China, he, he and Lao Tzu of Taoism had a great influence on Chinese politics and ethics. So it does make a difference to people because if you want to be Confucian, you want to do politics a certain way. I mean, they had their differences. Those two founders of belief systems, I understand, had different views about war. They were at odds with each other. And when you fight, I mean, those are, those are major issues. It's, so it's not just spiritual, yeah, it's all in my heart. Politics is a everyday world subject. Ethics is an everyday world subject. How do you treat people? Well, we treat them well. Oh, okay, well, I mean, I appreciate that, but are you following your way or someone else's? I, I don't care as long as you treat them nice. Okay, well, what about the subject we talked about earlier, what I often call uh, the yellow brick road? If there is a yellow brick road, or what's sometimes called in, in Scripture the scarlet ribbon, indicating the fact that in the Old Testament and New Testament alike, the path is paved with uh, blood, either animal sacrifices or the sacrifice of the Son of God. If, if there's a scarlet ribbon or a, or a yellow brick road, if that's really there, I'd sure like to know it, because I want to get on the path now. I don't want to get on the path after it's too late to get on the path. So I think we betray ourselves when, when we say, like, well, politics do make a difference, or ethics do make a difference. No, you can't kill my family. If politics do make a difference. Well, we want certain things to be true. And certain things are ice cream. I mean, to use a Christian example, maybe whether your church is, I don't want to you know, slam this question, but maybe whether your church is high church or low church, or what kind of music do you have? Do you have contemporary music, or do you sing only hymns? John Wesley or, or you know, some contemporary Christian rock group? Those are important to some people, but I think Christians know better than to say we're going to fight over them or die over them. Some issues are the fight and die over. So... I don't think we can say it's only spiritual significance because all practitioners of religion have things that make a difference in the real world, and that's what we're trying to measure here. Yes. Now, Gary, you state there are six major teachings and actions of Jesus that are unparalleled in any other religion. Now, briefly, what are those six? Well, the one I spend the most time on, <laughs> it, it almost gives the feeling of, of, oh, yeah, you spent the most time on it. You know, sometimes I get, I get papers from students, and they'll say, I'm going to cover five things in this paper, and the first one is almost as long as the paper has to be. So they go, <laughs> suffice it to say that I'm going to do the next five in one page, you know, because they said they would do it. So, no, uh, uh, the first one just takes longer to get through, and it is that Jesus claimed to be deity. And the incredible thing is that none of the founders of the major world religions claim to be deity and any kind of sources that have any ascertainable way of checking. Now, I already gave some examples that show that some founders just wouldn't do that. I mean, the original Buddha, the original Buddha, the original Confucius, the original Lao Tzu were kind of naturalistic. They were non-supernatural. Those things were all added to those religions long, long time later with new interpretations and new documents hundreds of years later. And the early versions of those three, they wouldn't claim to be God because they don't go around claiming anybody's God. So, you know, that leaves them out of the picture. The Indian Buddhist is, is a lot different, but again, it comes later. Here, here's a problem, for example. How can we know that Buddha claimed to be deity if the earliest sources 
that we're relying on are 600, 700, 800 years later. So that's where it makes the difference. And so the, the Chinese one doesn't make that claim at all. If the, Hind, if the Indian one makes it, I'll use an example in a minute about Krishna, we do have Krishna making that claim. But again, most Hindu scholars, according to major, major Hindu scholar, uh, don't think Krishna even lived. But let's just say he did. 4,200 years later is the source. So how do I know 4,200 years later what he claimed? So I certainly can't say Krishna claimed that. Zoroaster's a prophet. Muhammad's a prophet. We know from the Old Testament Daniel's a prophet. Moses is a prophet. David, a king and a prophet. Um, none of those people claim to be God. They don't even want you to. The unforgivable sin in uh, Islam is to compare anyone or anything, including Muhammad, to Allah. So I'm not saying, oh yeah, they're they're evil and wrong. I'm saying, no, that's what they teach. That's what they teach. Uh, so that one takes the longest time to unpack, because I think so many people have conflicting ideas. The other ones, quickly, I, I do six, as you mentioned. Jesus is the only one that taught that he was the path of salvation. And, and I mentioned that one earlier. Almost every founder says, I'm going to give you words of truth. In other words, Founders have to be founders because they've got something semi-unique or unique to teach. And they've got to have some message. So everybody has a message. But Jesus is the only one who said, what you do with me determines what you, you know, how you spend eternity. And you go, well, uh, yeah, you're using the book of John, and John is the whatever, whatever, whatever. No, you can use just the synoptics. I mean, in the synoptic, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jesus said, Whoever takes up his cross and follows me. Peter says when the rich young uh, ruler uh, walks away, if, if, if a rich guy can't be saved, who can be? Because they often thought that a rich richness was an indication of uh, God's blessing. If, if a rich person can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus says with, with uh, God it's impossible, but with men it's possible. And then he says those who've left houses and homes and so on and so on, husbands, wives, to follow me, it's about Jesus. Take up his cross and follow me over and over again. So Jesus said, I'm the path. What you do with me? Thirdly, uh, Eben Yamauchi, a Japanese scholar, I use him for uh, this, this next point. Yeah, uh, he's from, from Hawaii, Hawaii, you know. He's from Hawaii? I yeah. didn't know that. He graduated from my high school, yeah. Did he? He's, he's uh, Japanese, right? Yeah, Japanese-American. Japanese-American, he's a prominent historian. He retired just a few years ago from the University of Miami of Ohio. And he says that he, he covers six founders, major names, in a little book. And he claims that Jesus is the only founder of a major world of, of this group. Jesus is the only one who has miracles reported of him in sources that are no, no, no older than a generation. Jesus is the only one that has miracles. And I will add, when I went to grad school, if you said Jesus was a miracle worker, they would know, without, if they were nice enough not to go after you and criticize you, they would know you were either evangelical or conservative Catholic. But today, it's unanimous, virtually unanimous. Wow. You have to, you have to look hard to think of a critic. I don't care how, I mean, Bart Ehrman, okay, he calls himself an agnostic leaning toward atheism. Marcus Bork, one of the founders of the Jesus Seminar, he gives three reasons why Jesus was a miracle worker. One of them was the one you mentioned earlier, Pat, and that's because we have enemy attestation, and the enemies even admitted Jesus uh, did miracles. So 
He's the only one who has miracles reported of within a generation, according to uh, the Japanese-American scholar we mentioned, Ed Yamuchi. Fourthly, Jesus is the only one who claimed that his death would pay, would be the basis for salvation. Jesus, quote-unquote, died for our sins, is often the Christian message. And Jesus is the only one that said, my death secures redemption for those who say yes to me, those who follow me with all their heart. Uh, five. Now, now this one, Pat, this is a good one to ask you. You're in the heart of a lot of Buddhist studies there, and I went around and around with a Buddhist scholar we have here, you know, good-naturedly, but I say right in the book, this one's a little more open to question, I admit that. But I suggested that uh, Jesus is the only founder of a major world religion who gives central place, as in the Gospel, every religion has a, you know, a central teaching, and that Jesus is the only founder of a major religion who holds pain and suffering, the reality of pain and suffering, as a central location. And this Buddhist scholar would say, yeah, I just don't think that's fair. He was very nice about it, but he said, I just don't think that's, that's fair, because getting rid of suffering is the major part of Buddhism. I said, yeah, but that's the point, getting rid of suffering. And I, I have a couple of good quotes in the book from Buddhist scholars saying that's the whole point, that Buddhists think suffering is unreal, and you deny it like you deny aspects of yourself that are unreal. So my point was Christianity demands real suffering. And you go, well, like, what do you mean demands real suffering? Well, how? what's more central than my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's more central than death by crucifixion? And Jesus cries out to his Father, and his Father saw fit to leave him there until Sunday morning. I mean, I always think of it like... God's answer was, I, I answered my son's prayer. What do you mean? He died. Yeah, I know, but then I raised him from the dead. The, that's Christian, that's gospel truth. But Jesus had to die to be resurrected. So, I don't know what you think. I'd love to hear your comment. The, the last one. Yeah. No, Gary, you're right on target. You know, in Buddhism, you have to deny your humanity and reality. And just say, you know, it's an illusion. So is, is suffering not yeah. is, is suffering not really real? Yeah, because this world is an illusion, and behind the that's what I think. Yeah, illusion of this world is the void. Whereas what you're saying, Christianity says, no, evil and suffering is real. This world is real, and therefore, yeah, I mean, God paid the price for us. To, to me, a stunning passage, Pat, is Hebrews uh, five, where we we read, "The Son of Man learned obedience." by what he suffered. And you go, you want to say, come again? He learned obedience. First of all, that stops Christians right in their tracks. Many Christians don't think Jesus had to learn anything. Well, we got to be careful because our, our doctrine is that Jesus um, was fully God and fully man. So, I mean, he learned. The last verse of Luke 2 is he grew in wisdom and stature. So, yeah, he learned. But then what's worse is that Hebrew says he learned obedience by what he suffered. In more obedience, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, the answer is he wasn't forsaken, but he sure felt forsaken. How about let this pa cup pass from me? And we often kind of glibly say, yeah, 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 but he said, your will be done. Well, yes, he did, but he asked that the cup be gone. What do we do with that? So, I mean, that's real suffering. And the cross, the whipping, you know, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Gibson's movie. I mean, just watch that. I, I, that's not denying suffering. That's, in a way, it's embracing suffering. And lastly, it's the body, bodily resurrection of Jesus. No other founder of a major religion 
is believed by his whatever, whatever religion it is. No other founder of major religion is believed by his own orthodox or other followers to have been raised from the dead, especially not bodily. So I don't know of any other teachings of someone who was raised from the dead. And that's the center of Christianity because it anchors the Gospels and says it's true. So those are the six. Uh, Jesus claimed to be deity. He not only gave the words of life, he said he was the words of life. He was the actual path. He performed miracles in the early sources. He died for salvation. The place of real pain and real suffering seems to be more central in Christianity and more real than other religions. And lastly, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Yes, and we have good historical evidence that these are indeed the teachings of Christ and that he did indeed do miracles and did die and rise again from the dead. We've got good historical basis for that. Unlike the other world religions, many of their writings, you know, come centuries later. So we, you know, the historical basis for their teachings and miracle claims uh, seem questionable. But with Christ, we've got good, compelling evidence. These are indeed historical events. We do. And for those for whom, I, I mean, you know, bottom line, for those for whom history and truth matters, all I can tell you in a sense, Pat, is that when I did this research, I have been working in apologetics now for 40 years, 40 plus years, and I have never been more convinced of the singularity that we call Christianity. I've never been more convinced that Christian doctrine just doesn't have any takers. It just doesn't have any... I mean, I'm not saying that we had a ball game and it was really close. I'm just saying there's nobody out there to... I mean, Krishna might be the only guy about whom it's claimed he was deity and the source could be 4,200 years later. I mean, I know this is kind of ludicrous to compare it to a game, but is that a game where the final score is 4,200 to nothing? Sure. It's not a game. And there is no comparison to Christianity. And, and maybe that's why, Pat, maybe, I don't know, your earlier excellent question, maybe that's why people don't want to start playing these games. First of all, I, I really do think that they don't know the data. Christians don't know this data. I didn't know it. <laughs> I mean, again, 4,200 for, for Krishna, 1,800 for the Upanishad, 1,000 for the best-known theological text in Zoroaster, uh, up to 1,000 for Buddha. Um, you know, what do we do with that kind of thing? Uh, you, you know what? I've got a, um, a Muslim book on my shelf where a leading Muslim scholar says in a dialogue with Christians, in fact, in fact, he's he's going off on uh, crucifixion and says it's not a fact. And he specifically says in the book, he said, when you tell a Christian that Jesus did not die on the cross according to the Quran, he says they're going to come back and tell you where'd you get that. And when you say it's in the Quran, he says the Christian comeback is. How can I accept the historical source from 600 years later? I mean, the Quran is almost exactly 600 years after the death of Jesus. I mean, you're just missing by a couple of years. How do you not take a, uh, a text at, at 600 years later? How, why would you believe that? And the writer, this Muslim scholar, very well known, the Muslim scholar, Ahmed Didat, by the way, uh, Didat says, well, that's a good response. He says, that's logical. He literally says that. To say that the that the Quran is uh, 600 years later, 
is it's accurate. It's good. He said, but so my comeback is, let's see if the New Testament has contradictions. That's his comeback. He throws it back in our court. Well, I understand that move, but the first thing he says, let's not overlook it, the first thing he says is, yeah, it's right that 600 years later is too late for his historical source. That's the same thing that uh, Conzi said about the Buddhist scriptures, six to 900 years later. But then he says, let's see if there's contradictions. Well, I don't think there's, New Te- uh, I don't think there's contradictions in the New Testament, but anybody knows that contradictions don't prove sources. I mean, to use an example from ancient history, Paul Meyer, retired uh, distinguished professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, State University, he said, there are different Roman reports about how far the fire of Rome spread and who's the cause, how big and who is it. He said, but that doesn't mean that there was no fire of Rome. And, and that's, a, that's a great point. And in anything in history, uh, I just live a few miles here from uh, Appomattox, where the uh, American Civil War ended. Somebody can say, no, the South will rise again, and so on. But you can say and show in history, in, in the South, in the Appomattox Courthouse, there's a famous painting of the Southern generals, and uh, well, the generals, uh, there at the, you know, at the end of the war. It either happened or it didn't. And these are not, not always happy facts for us, but they either occurred or it didn't occur. And so I, w- I want to know what the basis is. Yes, those are great points there. Well, Gary, as we bring this to an end, you've pointed out six major teachings and actions of Jesus that are unparalleled in any other religion. So summarize it for us now. What are the implications of this? Well, Pat, I I think they're staggering. I really do think they're staggering. I don't see how to look at this data and say anything different than... Christianity has no competitors, not in the historical realm, not if you want to do facts. And if someone says, well, I'm not really into facts, you know, you are when you have to go to the doctors. You are when you push a button for president, you know, later this year, and you want it to be the person who wins and not the person that, you know, didn't win. Uh, the The world is filled with things where we want the outcome to be factually true. We go to a restaurant, we don't want poison food, and we don't want raw food for the most part. But for the most part, we don't want raw food, and we don't want poison food. So in a lot of areas, to go back to Greg Kokel's example, we want insulin when we need it, not ice cream. And if the, the case for Christianity is so strong, there's no competition historically. I would add there's no that kind of evidence philosophically against us. I just had a debate, just a dialogue being broadcast uh, tomorrow with one of the best-known atheistic uh, philosophers in the world, and I was given some problems with naturalism, and he conceded several of them. I thought, well, you know what, that's not just the religions, that's the philosophies. I don't think any world philosophy or world religion competes with Christianity for truth. Now, if people say, well, I don't care about truth, I mean, look, they don't even have to say that. A person can believe whatever they want for no reason at all. You don't have to give me reasons. If you want to believe it, that's your business. But, and I think that's cool about Christianity, too. But if you, believe, if, if you want to know what's true, you have to search it out. And I think of Tony Flew's, Anthony Flew's words when he 
gave up atheism late in his life when he kept saying over and over again, I had to go where the evidence leads. And if you do, there's not much question about what you're going to embrace, I think. Fantastic. You've been listening to Evidence and Answers in our interview with Dr. Gary Habermas and his new book here that you can download for free at his website, GaryHabermas.com, The Uniqueness of Jesus Amongst the World Religions. Well, Gary, thanks for being with us again here on Evidence and Answers. Pat, you're, you're always a great interviewer, good friend. I uh, really enjoy being with you. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and also Pat's books. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.